Hello everyone, this is Saqib welcoming you back to the Cricket with an Accent podcast. We haven't spoken since India's departure in the World Cup. That was way back in July and uh, the podcast has been uh, pretty dead and uh, it's not frozen anymore. Sanket Singh will on Goa time is back and we'll be talking a lot of bat and ball, especially with India and Australia, a series that concluded today. Uh, on that note, uh, welcome Sanket. Yeah, it's been a long time, I think. Yeah, very great to be t- talking on this platform again. Yeah, and if you, I'm sure whoever listens to this podcast knows Sanket. Uh, we have a common, I think, uh, set of followers. But Sanket is a Twitter superstar with more than 3,500 Twitter followers. And uh, he talks a lot of cricket, a lot of football. So you can, uh, you know who he is. But if you don't, check his profile out on Twitter. Uh, so Sanket, uh, India and Australia, two of uh, the... The three big, big three teams in popularity uh, terms, and Australia started the series on a very high note, and uh, fans like yourself were keeping it real. But that was a very promising start, and then, and now we know how the result unfolded with two one in favor of India. So let's compare the batting orders. It's an extension of what you and me were talking on Twitter, say half an hour ago, and uh, you said both teams are not in the same class as England. Uh, I disagree because the World Cup is in India. Uh, so I think the likes of Ayer and Rahul have given more more of a chance, uh, which Kohli plans to do, uh, will be better suited to take on not Australia but other teams. Are they as good as England? Uh, it's, uh, definitely not in the same same case. But uh, make a comparison from uh, positions from four to seven between India and Australia. How do these two uh, these two sides stack up against each other? I think I think both sides are very similarly set up in the sense that you know both the sides are very. Heavily dependent on their top orders, you know. I think that that's the case for most sides in limited overs cricket. I think England are probably an exception in that sense because they have their best batsman probably comes in at number six, which is Josh Butler in 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 this in ODI cricket. And uh, yeah, but I think India and Australia, uh, well, yeah, you you can just see in the way the two teams are set up. You know, India have got uh, a very reliable top three, which you know have been together for I think almost six and a half years now. Ever since Dhawan and Rohit joined hands in the 2013 Champions Trophy, this has been their that stable top three for I think almost seven years. Uh, and in Australia, well, we all know that you know Warner and Smith were missing for a year, and uh, in their absence, there was a lot of upheaval. Usman Khawaja came in and he did well, and now now he's out of the side. Warner obviously had a terrific comeback in the World Cup. Steve Smith, you know, had a relatively quiet World Cup. He had a, had his fair share of, you know, decent knocks, but you know, didn't really make a, a, a statement innings of sorts. The ones the, like the one that he made today, or the one that he made a couple of days ago. So, yeah, I think you know Australia's top order is, is shaping up nicely. But you know, as with India, I think the the problem for both the sides comes, you know, with what follows. And you know, Australia had. Peter Hanscom batting at number four in, in the ODI series that took place in India last year, and he was he was Australia's second highest run getter in that series. And and I think he's probably a little bit hard done by not to be you know featuring in the playing eleven this series. I, I would have personally picked him ahead of Ashton Turner. You know, Labuschagne has obviously taken over that mental as number four batsman. You know, uh, you can say that Hanscom was probably a little bit hard done by because you know, he was the incumbent and Labuschagne was performed preferred ahead of him. Based on his test match form, but you know, I think Manas is more than you know, justified his selection. He's got a couple of very good, very bright knocks, you know, look very promising. 
and obviously we've all seen his class and what he can do in test cricket. So, you know, in terms of long-term potential as well, I think Mahan is probably, you know, slightly better than Hanscom. And he also had a terrific limited overs domestic tournament in Australia as well in, in October and November. So, you know, he, he is totally justified as selection. So, and even though it's still new, I think you know, Australia have something to work with as far as the number four slot is concerned. Alex Carey had a, had, a, had a great World Cup. I think he was, he was one of the stars of the tournament. And I came in mostly lower down the order at number seven. But and Australia had Maxwell and Stoinis batting five and six, who were basically walking wickets. So he was effectively doing the role of a number five every single time. He came out to bat. You know, a lot of his you know innings that he played in the World Cup were rescue rescue jobs after top order collapses or you know trying to finish off a tough run chase like the one against South Africa which, you know, Australia ultimately fell short of. But uh, he has been doing well. And again, you know, played a very good innings today as well. So he's looking good. I think number five is probably still a spot too far, too high for him, especially with Turner and, you know, Agar to follow. I think ideally I would like to see another, you know, either a specialist batsman, you know, probably Hanscom would have been the right choice for this series because there was no one else in the squad and, and because he's, he's, he's done well in India in the past. So, you know, I would have liked to see Hanskin at number five and, you know, carry at six and uh, as, as the probably the middle order option for this series. But, you know, going forward, uh, ideally would want someone in the top six, you know, to be, you know, contributing, uh, contributing overs because I don't think you, you can really go in with Ashton Agar as, at number seven as a long-term option. So ideally, Australia need to be looking at playing you know, a couple of batting all-rounders, one at five and maybe one at seven. And you can have Alex Carey sandwiched in between those two at number six. So that would that would be the ideal scenario. But right now, it's, you know, it's, it's the options are not great. Uh, you know, they've tried Maxwell. You know, and, you know my, my views on Gillette Maxwell are very well known. So yeah, and, let, let, let's let's elaborate on that again. A lot of casual fans, and I'm and, and you know, I know I don't want this to be a broken record. You have been pretty candid on Twitter on Glenn Maxwell. So uh, a lot of time cliches get in the way. So just talk to the listeners here. Uh, Maxwell is uh, you know having a good time in the Big Bash League, but that's a T20 format. So is there a connection, Sanket, where you know most fans and I put myself as a fan. Uh, where we lose the narrative. If someone is good in white ball cricket, the shorter version, which is T20, why that person is not considered uh, or being considered for uh, a 50-over slot. And secondly, with the World Cup in India, Maxwell has been a pretty prominent IPL player. So connect the dots. I know he's had a bad run, but that World Cup was in England. So you think his, uh, if you were a selector, you think his days are over or uh, there's still time for him to reclaim his spot in the 50-over game? If I were a selector, I, I don't think Glenn Maxwell should be considered for Australia in ODI cricket, at least for another couple of years. You know, personally, I would like to see never again, but, you know, you never see never. So, you know, I think at least he should be, you know, forced to work hard on his on his longer version game. And that is 50 years cricket. But it's not just in the ODI, ODI international city has been struggling. He's been struggling at the 50 over format, even at the domestic level, his record. In, in the in the Marsh Cup or the JLT Cup or whatever you whatever you call it, that is the domestic list A 50 over tournament in Australia for the last couple of years is two half centuries in 12 innings at an average of 26 and a strike rate which is which is used as by his supporters as one of his you know plus points is also under 100 which is not great for a player of his type so he's he's just not been doing well in this format 
at whatever level for the last, you know, I think four years. Is it is, is it the temperament? Really... Is it like placing his innings, or is he just get too excited? Is he just caught in the uh, mix it's, of two it's formats? A combination. It's it's a combination of many things, but I think a lot of it is is down to technical flaws as well, because you know we saw in the World Cup where you know he he was bounced out by the West Indies, and then you know England bounced him out as well, and. You know, I remember Kaki Sodavada bounced him out. Jimmy Nisham with his medium paces bounced him out. And then in the semi-final against England, he was literally backing off against Jofra Archer because he was scared of his pace. And then ultimately he just got got done in by a slower delivery because he was already backing off to the uh, onside to try and hit him off, hit him over extra cover. But he, he just missed, misjudged the pace of the delivery because he was too early into the shot. And got done in by slow delivery. This is not this is not so much a temperamental problem, which I think definitely exists with Maxwell as well. But I th- I don't think he's as good even in terms of ability as, as a lot of people think. I think he's got a clear weakness against anything over one one forty Ks. And I think most teams these days do have, you know, one or two bowlers of that type. And it's it's not like you have to be relentlessly consistent against him to to trouble him with that sort of pace. I think Okay, so you 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 making some one good over. You're making some excellent points. So let me bring another cliche and uh, feel free to knock it out of the park. A lot of times, the discussion is about in any sport about the you know, especially in cricket, with the surroundings and you know the environment. I mean the conditions. So Maxwell has a decent record, uh, not too long ago in IPL. So if the World Cup is in India, shouldn't he be you know? in the mix just for that reason because he's had success there and uh, again the other cliche is uh, it's easy to hit fast ballers in Indian tracks so talk about those two factors Firstly Maxwell doesn't have a good record in the IPL is is the, the only good season that he had in the IPL was the one that was played in the UAE which is a place where he seems to be doing well for some reason even, even his only decent ODI series over the last four or five years you know, came against Pakistan last year, which was against the second string Pakistan side because they had rested, you know, pretty much their entire first first choice score after because the series was just coming off uh, of, of their PSL campaign and they they wanted to keep their players fresh ahead of the World Cup. So that that was the only decent series that he had and that was in the UAE. And that's the only decent IPL the campaign has ever had in his career. And he's been playing IPL for I think, you know, seven years now. And that, that's that's the only recent season he's had. His record in, in, in IPL matches played in India is abysmal. It's not as bad; it's abysmal. His last season with the Delhi Daredevils that he played in 2018, he missed the last season, last year's IPL because of the World Cup. But you know, he played in 2018. He played 12 matches at an average of 14. That's that that that's, that's terrible. And uh, yeah, so I mean, that's obviously not true. So I don't really buy into this argument that he's he's he's, he's a good player for mid conditions. You know, his overall ODI record in India is still you know, still respectable, but that's because of the kind of series that he had in 2013, which is when he was at his peak, and that that was when you know I think he was a genuinely useful ODI cricketer. And again, that was when India had a really poor bowling attack. They had the likes of Vinay Kumar and Ishan Sharma and Ravichandra Nashwin bowling for them in limited overs cricket. Ever since you know India you know had this regeneration of sorts as, as far as their Limited overs bowling is concerned with the likes of Pumra and you know Jahal, Kuldeep, and all these guys coming in. Since 2017, he's played eight ODIs in India, and hasn't scored a half century, and averages 21. So you know you can clearly see this dip in his numbers in recent times, as well as against 
you know, against better bowling. So, yeah, I, he's not done well in India in, rec- in recent times, either in the IPL or, you know, in uh, in, in the, in the one-day internationals. So, okay, um, so, so only that's... good time that he's had in India was the T20 IC. I, I think I need to point this out because, you know, I, I don't want to make it one-sided one-sided conversation. So I, I would like to point out that he did have an exceptional T20 international series in India last year, where he scored one half century, and then a, and then a brilliant hundred, which I would I have no shame in admitting that it was one of the best T20 hundreds that I have seen in, at international level. Uh, and it, it, it was in the second T20I, and that won Australia that T20 series against India. But yeah, that's just two matches, and it's a completely different format to what we are currently discussing and and he's done well in T20 over the last four years. I mean, I, I pointed out that his ODI average over the last four years against top teams, and by uh, top teams I mean South Africa, New Zealand, India and England. And you maybe can you can maybe add Pakistan to that list, but the only series that he played against Pakistan, Pakistan played a second string side, so I, I didn't really include them. But his average against these four sides is, is 23. He scored less something like three or four half centuries in, in 36 matches, which is absolutely terrible uh, for, for a guy whose, whose primary role in the side is that of a batsman. And people say that he's, a, he's just a hitter, then you know, he's there just to accelerate, but he's, he's predominantly been batting at number five and six. That, that's not the role of a hitter. You know, a hitter is probably number seven or eight, where you can just come in and beat the ball. But... Okay. A guy batting at number five must be capable of placing an innings. No, I, think I don't think that's you, you any made, indication of being able to do that. Uh, no, you made some solid points. So, Maxim, Maxwell apologists like myself, whoever tunes in, uh, you know, we are at a loss of words. And you, you, backed your, uh, you backed your argument with some serious statistics. So, let's talk about the Indian middle order again. Uh, are you uh, taking my point into consideration with the World Cup inside? Ayer and Rahul, that's a decent... Group of five, of course, uh, there's a long time. Someone else like a Gill or, you know, a couple other performers might get in the mix because World Cup is still a long time uh, from now. But uh, given the strength India has a unit, and if you add Hardik Pandya and Jadeja is still there. And uh, so that's a, that's a decent batting uh, up to seven. Talk about uh, the middle order of India. Uh, the top three are pretty good, but uh, these four names. And throw in a couple other names that who may be in contention according to you. Yeah, I'm, I'm not so sure Suresh Ayer is the answer in the long term. He's, he's a good player of spin bowling. And yes, with the World Cup being in India next next time around, his limitations against fast bowling do get headed to a certain degree. But even in this series on Indian pitches, he was he was really struggling against the likes of Stark and Cummins, you know. So, I don't know. I mean, you know, against teams like Australia, South Africa, and I, although I, I'm reluctantly seeing South Africa right now because... Uh, you know, their, their cricket appears to be fast heading in a downward spiral and I, we don't even know what kind of bowlers they'll be ha- coming um, uh, to the World Cup with three years down the line. But, you know, right now they still have some promising kicks. So, South Africa, England obviously have, have the likes of Jofra Archer and a few promising quakes. New Zealand, and against these teams who've got bowlers who, who can bowl in excess of 140 Ks on a consistent basis, I think I think the jury is still very much out in Shreya Sayyid. And, you know, what he showed in the series, I don't think that is something that would have pleased any Indian fan. Uh, they, but they've got better options, I think. You know, Shubman Gill comes into the side, and I think he's, he's a generational talent. You know, he's probably the best young talent to, to come out of Indian cricket 
probably world cricket since since Virat Kohli in, in 2008 is I think is that good. So you know if he comes in and probably bats number four, that will obviously be a huge boost to, to the Indian middle order. But you know the, the I think the biggest problem with India right now is the team management. They are not very consistent in giving the youngsters a settled run. They chop and change way too often, and 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 they they they're very very. Uh, they make a lot of knee-jerk selections, basically, and uh, and they do not stick to their plans. I mean, you can see what Virat Kohli said before the series about you know giving KL Rahul to go at number three and batting himself at four. You know, one one defeat and he made the plans. Uh, I'm not saying that you know Kohli batting at three and Rahul batting at four is a bad idea. And they eventually did win the second ODI with exactly that sort of combination. I think Kohli. At this stage of his career, he's probably better off at sticking sticking at number three, you know. So yeah, I mean, you, you can look at it both ways, uh, but uh, in India definitely have the talent. I think the talent pool runs much deeper than any other country in the world. The problem with them is is mismanagement, and uh, so yeah, I mean, you know, so if if someone like Gil comes into the side here. You cannot really expect him to hit the ground running immediately in a position as volatile as number four in, in ODI cricket. He has to be given a good run. And and one of the problems that I see with ODI cricket, not just for India, and I think they're probably a better, better place than any other team because they're playing more ODIs than anyone else. But you know, even they are playing considerably less number of ODIs than what they did in the previous cycle. And and let's not forget there are only three three years to go for the next World Cup and not four because you know, the previous World Cup took place in England, so that finished late. And the next World Cup is taking place in India, so there's basically it's only a three and a half year gap, and six months have already passed by. So, you know, so there are only three years left, and there, there are actually not not that many number of games uh, compared to what they had between the 2015 and 2019 World Cups. So, you know, if if India believe in certain players, then they need to start getting them in fast, and they need to back them and give them an extended run because you cannot be afford to be leaving it too late like they did with Rishabh Pant. For example, in the 2019 World Cup, you know, they blooded him too late. They persisted with MS Dhoni, and were eventually, you know, we all saw what happened. So that, that, that that's that's the thing for India, and they they have the talent, but they, they need to utilize it in the right manner. Coming back to Shreyas Iyer, as I said, I am not too sure he's he's necessarily a better player than say someone like Lavashin, even in even in in conditions. KL Rahul, I think I think he's I think he's he's the right guy to be batting in the middle order. And but again, uh, a lot of what happens with KL Rahul is directly linked with what what happens with Shikhar Dhawan. And Shikhar Dhawan on performance still merits place in ODI side. He's still doing well, but you know he'll he'll be 37 at the next World Cup. So that is again the call for the selectors and and Virat Kohli to be taking whether they want someone who'll be 37 at the next World Cup or so. Will they just take the harsh harsh call and? Drop him now because of his fitness issues, and get the youngster in, and maybe give get someone like Gill and Gill in at number four, and you know promote KL Rahul to open, or are they just going to persist with Dhawan until he's until he's incapable of scoring runs completely, and you know continue with Rahul at four, or whether they want to push Rahul down to five and get someone else in at four, or whether they want to continue with Ayer. So they've got different options, different permutations and combinations. So. You know what happens with Shikhar Dhawan is definitely going to be interesting to see as well, and that and that's going to decide KL Rahul's destiny as well. Whether he's going to stay in the middle order or whether he's going to open like he did today as an emergency option, 
uh, whether he's going to continue keeping wickets, which is something that's been that's recently been floated by Kohli, and and, and whether and if he keeps doing that, then what happens to Rishabh Pant, who who was publicly backed by you know the selector MSK Prasad, you know, a couple of months ago when he was asked about MS Dhoni, MS Dhoni's future, and he said that you know they're not looking at Dhoni anymore because uh, they're looking at giving Rishabh Pant an extended run, but you know a couple of months later you've got. KL Rahul was basically a part-time keeper, now being thrust into a full-time role. So it's it's going to be interesting to see what they do there. Yeah, absolutely. That's going to be a good uh, good plot to follow how it unfolds. Uh, like you said, with the World Cup uh, only three three years away. Uh, I was not planning to bring in MS Dhoni, but again, uh, you took his name two three times in your uh, various responses. So it's only it only makes sense to talk about the great man. So not having a contract, what does this mean? Is this writing on the wall or is it still a slight window that could open if he performs well in the IPL for the T20 World Cup swan song? Where do you think the winds are blowing and what does this mean for Dhoni? I really don't know, to be very honest. And this is, this, is extremely, this is extremely baffling because, you know, you would have probably expected MS Dhoni to come out and give a public statement by now because... He's, he's, he's effectively been dropped by the national selectors. They've just come out and said, you know, for, for the first time, they didn't say that he was being rested. He, they, they said that they're looking to move on from him and they're looking at the other options. So for MS Tony to, you know, just sit quiet and not say anything and, you know, pretend that he's, he's still an active international cricketer and for now, for, and for him to not get a contract now. And, you know, again, there's utter silence from him. Uh, this is something that's very hard to digest because you know, I, I can't remember. I mean, if 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 the World Cup semi-final against New Zealand turns out to be the last time MS Tony um, uh, 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 is uh, played in Indian colours, then that's going to be one of the most anticlimactic ends to you know a dec- such a decorated career that I've ever seen. Um, you know, and it reminds me of you know another Indian captain. Who happened to play his last international fixture against New Zealand against New Zealand in the World Cup? Uh, Mohammad Azuruddin in 1999. Although his his departure was obviously not anticlimactic in any way, it was a dramatic departure and for completely different reasons. But yeah, there's every chance that, and it's looking more it's more likely than ever that you know Anthony has probably played his last last international fixture for India. So. Yeah, I think I think you're only really going to find out maybe during the IPL when you know, you know he he'll be confronting the media and the press conferences when he'll be coming out to lead the CSK side uh, about what his future plans are and you know what he whether he actually intends to fight for his place in the Indian side or whether he's going to announce his retirement or whether he's going to get a big farewell series like such a Tendulkar did or whatever. So yeah, uh, uh, I really don't know. Uh, but what what's up with MS Dhoni at the moment? But it's it's definitely very strange and also at the same time quite interesting to see what happens over the next few months. Yes, indeed, uh, uh, strange is uh, is one of the emotions that comes to mind. But uh, let's wait till uh, there's an announcement from Dhoni, and then we'll uh, try to do a podcast uh, dedicated to him and his uh, you know his heroics in the Indian colours. So let me change. Uh, let me come back to the topic of the ODI teams. Uh, Ian Bishop uh, put a tweet out there, uh, basically compare India's win over West Indies uh, not too long ago in the ODI format to this India-Australia series. So now since both series are in the books, do you think West Indies and India was a more closely fought 
battle and this stage are they more evenly matched in those Indian tracks compared to the Australian nah, team? No, nah. no, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that. You know, and yeah, I mean, I, I didn't see Bush straight, but yeah, I'll, I'll probably just check it out. But you know, again, it's just it's just a three-match series, and it's a very small sample size to be drawing any conclusions from. Australia managed. To, Australia remained the last team to beat India in an ODI series in India. That was last year, and that was without Steve Smith and David Warner. So yeah, I think it's, I still think you know Australia and England are clearly the biggest challenges that to India in Indian conditions. And the Indies obviously had a good season, and I, and I did say to you on Twitter as well that they are a team on the up. That you know they, they have they finally have some good young talent coming through, and there has been a change of you know management at the board level as well. And they finally, you know, backing backing these young young players, the talented young players that are, that are coming through. The CPL has also has also been, you know, quite a success and has thrown up uh, quite a few young talents who who are finally really really making their mark at the highest level. They they had a disappointing World Cup. I think, you know, I had high expectations from them based on what they did against England in the ODI series that they played a few months prior to the World Cup. But you know. That was probably a team that was still in its in its nascency uh, as far as ODI is concerned. But now they have a new captain, uh, and Pollard was, was tactically quite astute and was, was done well as a captain in the CPL. Led them, led I think Trinidad to a few domestic titles as well. So yeah, I mean uh, they're definitely a team on the up. I don't think they're anywhere near Australia or India's level yet. But yeah, they, 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 one of the one area where I do think they do match Australia and India, and, and are probably even better than them, is the, is is the quality of their lower middle order. Uh, you know, they, they've got they've got some serious players there. They've got you know Simran Hetmeyer, Nicholas Poulin, and Pollard himself is, is is a handy batsman, even though he's he's more of a T20 player than a, than a 50 over player. But I, I would still take him over Glenn Maxwell in the Australian side if given a choice. Uh, and uh, and I'll probably take him ahead of someone like Jadeja as well. And they even said from purely a batting perspective, obviously Jadeja is a better bowler, and and that's that's a different consideration. But purely from from batting point of view, they they've got some good players there down down there in the middle order. But again, they, I think I think their bowling is still leaves a lot to be desired. They don't have that bowlers, you know. Although that that's a problem for Australia as well, but to a lesser degree than than West Indies. And and the spinners again, the spin attack is not that great. For a World Cup in India, that's that's something that they will have to work upon. Uh, but yeah, I think the conditions India in India do suit their batsmen because most of them play in the IPL, and most of the best Indian batsmen happen to be, you know, slightly vulnerable against the hard lengths and the short balls and 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 type of bowling that you know, that generally bothers you when you're playing in Australia, or South Africa, or countries like that. But that's probably less of an issue in India, and so yeah, they, they should be. They should be better equipped in these conditions. But the bowling is something that they will have to work upon. Okay. And just for the record to clear, I don't think, uh, I mean, I, I didn't mean to insinuate that Bishop said West Indies is a better side. He just, I think it may be a tongue-in-cheek humor saying the series was more well-fought. But like Sanket said, it was only a three-match series. So let's uh, move into the last segment of this podcast and talk about uh, the World Test, uh, Test Championship. So some of... The fans, uh, again, the diehard fans or very knowledgeable fans know what the format is. But some people who claim to be fans but are not are only following, say, India's uh, series and India plays New Zealand next, uh, which should be an exciting two-test affair. 
So Sanket, uh, what, how exciting is this format, one? And then what are the rules that if people don't understand? And uh, in, in a very quick way, uh, also explain, you know, how points are rewarded in certain circumstances against certain series. So fire away. Uh, first, give a little introduction on the World Test Championship, what stage it's at and who are the leading contenders. I believe India is at the top of the table. But does that mean will they stay at the end of the table given what's coming ahead as far as schedule? So big question. Uh, start from the format. Yeah, the format is, I think the format is pretty simple. You know, all the, 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 there are basically, there, there are 12 test playing nations right now and nine of them are participating in this championship. The ones who are not are Zimbabwe, Ireland and Afghanistan. So nine nations, they'll be playing each other. You know, not all of them, but they'll be playing six seeds. So they, each team will will not be playing against two, 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 two teams. So they'll be playing against the other six, um, you know, over, over, over a two-year period, uh, of which three series will be at home and three series will be away. So, you know, it's, 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 it's effectively, I think, something like 54 series over, uh, over the, over the two-year, two-year window that is there for the, this championship. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, uh, so uh, you know, each each test series carries one one twenty points. Uh, so the points the points are divided based on the number of series and not on the number of matches. So uh, so for, for if it's a two test series, then you know there'll be twenty sixty points for test uh, for win. That is, and you know if it's a four match series, then it's thirty points for win. If it's a five match series, then it's twenty four points for win. So they just, you know, it's, it's very simple arithmetic. They're just dividing the number of the, the total points available for a series by the number of tests in a series, uh, and that's the number of points that are that is available for a single test win. And the points for a draw are one third of that, just like you have in football, where you know you get three points for a win and one point for a draw in, in the Premier League and in other leagues. It's, it's a very similar format where you get you know four points for for the win and one third the points for a draw. Obviously, zero points for a loss, and if it's a tie, then you know the points are shared between the two sides equally. So yeah, that's that's that's, that's the format. So and at currently, you have India at the top of the table with 360 points. And even though they only played, I think seven test matches, but they played three series. So and each series carried 120 points, and they've they they won all the test matches. They won two nil in West Indies. They beat South Africa three nil at home, and they beat. Bangladesh tunnel at home. So that's the seven tests and 360 points because they won three series. Whereas Australia also played three, uh, three, te- three test series and they won, they won as many tests as India, but you know, one of those series was a five match series, which was a 2-2 draw. So they couldn't get four points for that series. So they, you know, they only had 56 points from that Ashes series in England. Uh, although they did, did get full points, you know, for the two home series, which were both whitewashes in Australia's favor against Pakistan and New Zealand, so they're, they're currently second with 296 points, I believe, you know, 120, 120, and 56. So yeah, I think these two are clearly the front runners, and not just because you know they're they're, they're top with the right now, because but they also happen to be, I think, the two best dominant sides in home conditions, and I think the format is such that you know if you can get you know. You've got 360 points riding on, riding on the three home series that you play, and you know Australia, Australia and India being so dominant at home. If you can wrap wrap those points up and then just sneak in a few test wins abroad, 
then you know if you can just cross that 450 barrier then i think that's that should be more or less good enough to you know get you get into the finals more often than not so is it yeah, is, is there any other team that can cause uh, the mathematical upset here and get in the conversation is new zealand one of those teams is does england zealand, have a chance new zealand i think is definitely i think i, I don't think there's anyone stopping india because india already have 360 points and they still have you know a series against new zealand at, uh, in new zealand which you know i i think i think it will probably be a third series i expect a 1-1 draw so you know you can probably get give them another 60 points there there's they have they've got a tour of australia which you know i think is slightly difficult to predict right now but you know even if they just win one test and lose the series 3-1 they still get you know they still get around 30 points for that so that should take them to 450 and then they've got another home series in singapore which you know that's a fight and see so I'm not expecting a white horse there but again they should win that series so you know that they should they should comfortably you know cross the 55550 barrier and they should come to be top of the league so you know I think Australia and New Zealand are probably competing for the second spot and and that is why it was imperative for Australia to white horse New Zealand at home because they they are their most direct competitors because New Zealand have a very favorable schedule in home conditions so right now New Zealand are currently only on 60 points which is they won a test in sri lanka and uh, it was a two test series it was shared 1-1 so 60 points each and you know they obviously had uh, they, they got white washed in australia so you know they couldn't get any points there but they, the advantage in new zealand is that they get to play at home they got three home series and the two of those series happened to be against pakistan and west indies which should be you know fairly comfortable affairs for new zealand if they produce result oriented wickets and you probably would expect them to get the two full 240 points are available on offer for those two series and the series against india is again and you know, as i said i am probably expecting points to be split there but this every possibility that you know things go their way new zealand could well make that series as well so uh, if, if 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 they can get you know 300 to 360 points from three home series then and they already have 60 points you know for the for the series in sri lanka that they played away from home and then they still got a tour of bangladesh which is again a very manageable series away from home so then then they are right right back into the tension so are there any uh, nations the, are there any nations that are at a disadvantage sorry uh, well, I, because of uh, if they are playing if someone is playing less number of tests is there a country or are there countries that are at a disadvantage because india and england is a five test series uh, you know each test match or series you know having so many points and india and new zealand is only for new zealand home uh, home games only 60 points at best if they upset india and hold serve at home so is the schedule little lopsided in terms of opportunity or yeah. it's the best we can get given you know how this international calendar no, is the, the schedule is actually one that favors the teams that play less number of tests because you know as i said in australia drew 2-2 against england in england which is their best performance in the country in 18 years they could only get 456 points for the same whereas india white washing west indies 2-0 got them one which is they basically won the same number of test matches about you know they got the full 220 points so for a two test series you get 60 points for win whereas for a five test series you get 24 points for win so this schedule is obviously favors the teams that play less number of test matches because you get more points per win So you know, if New Zealand wins just one test against India, 
they get 60 points. Whereas if Australia win only one test against India at home, they will only get 30 points because it's a four-test series. So, yeah, I don't think teams playing less tests are at any kind of disadvantage here. Uh, but if anything, you could say that you know teams playing more tests are you know at a disadvantage. But again, uh, teams that play more tests are doing it out of their own choice. And this is a schedule that has been created, keeping in mind the financial inequalities in the game. You know, a team like Sri Lanka or you know or West Indies cannot schedule the five tests the way in India, or England, or in Australia can. So, you know, you you have to give them a fair point, fair chance to get the same number of points. So, even though I've seen numerous people complain about the point system that it is unfair to teams that play more number of test matches, and that you know. The points should be divided based on the number of tests and not on the number of series. I still can see why why the ICC have decided to go down this road because if you if you're having a test championship place system in place, it's not the usual ranking system which is you know highly subjective. But the but when you're having a test championship system in place, you want something that is equal to all, and you want some you want all teams to compete for the compete for equal number of points. And you want a system that is easily understood by the viewers because ultimately that is the point of this test championship that, you know, to attract more audiences to the test game. So you cannot be creating a very complicated system with, you know, different points for home and away and all that sort of stuff. So I think this is a very simplistic system. It might not be the fairest one, but I think it makes a lot of sense for what this test championship, um, you know, it, uh, is, 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 is basically being invented to achieve. That is, you know, bringing more, more more followers to the game and trying to revive interest in Test cricket in these smaller nations, which you know do not generate the same number of revenue as as the bigger nations. So, I think I think it's fair to give them an opportunity, an equal opportunity, to compete for the same number of points, even though they might not be able to schedule as many tests uh, as the other teams. So, this the schedule has been, you know, prepared, keeping in mind the financial inequalities. Yeah? And the bigger teams see that they are hard done by by playing more number of test matches. They they're just as free to you know schedule only two test series and get sixty points for wins. So okay, yeah, good. I think you know each to their own. No, very well said. So I think that gives you a good account uh, if you didn't know uh, how teams will get to that finals at Lords. Uh, in more than a year's time and India and Australia are poised to do it, but New Zealand can definitely spoil Australia's party. So Sanket, thank you. Uh, again, uh, on a short notice to come and do this podcast and uh, let's plan to do a couple more. With India going to New Zealand, we can have a full episode dedicated as a preview show and uh, what can transpire in that series. On that note, uh, this is Sakib signing off with Sanket. Thanks for listening and we'll be back uh, with another episode soon. Thanks. Thanks.